Welcome to episode 6 of Cyberbytes the Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Cooper, co-founder of Aspiron Search. Today's guest, we have Phil CISO Robert Wagner. We talk about his untraditional career change into security, his track from third shift analyst to field CISO and what that role actually involves. Robert clearly cares about the industry. He's spoken at many conferences and delivered various workshops, and he even managed to scare me about the effects of AI. What's great about Robert is he loves sharing and solving executive security problems, even if it means promoting other security solutions. How are you? (laughs) Good, Joseph. How are you doing today? Yeah, really well, thank you. Really well. I guess uh, you're no stranger to a podcast or a a keynote, so I'm really excited about this one. I am too. This is so awesome. Thank you for inviting me to be on. Yeah. Nice, nice. I saw you've got a couple of um, conferences coming up that you... You made panel four? Yep, I do. Uh, I'm uh, going to be speaking at Besides Rochester uh, and B- uh, and um, CypherCon in Milwaukee uh, this month, and then have a couple more in the future. And I'm applying for yet more. So uh, yeah, yeah. Me, awesome. Yeah. We I'm guessing we'd be at RSA, or is that still unknown yet? That's uh, that's unknown. Um, RSA is expensive. Uh, Mega. So, um, especially the housing. It's uh, it, it can get really pricey. Hundred percent. Yeah. Well, I'm obviously in the UK, and our flight alone was uh, astronomical. But <laughs> right. anyways, um, so look, Robert, with with all my guests, I've been taking it right back to sort of where you're from and how you got into security. Yeah. Um, so uh, it, interestingly enough, uh, so back when I got started, there was no information security programs, right? Uh, so, um, not a whole lot of people know this, but I actually had a degree in liberal arts, uh, with, uh, with a lot of theater thrown into the hat. So, um, and, uh, and, and it's been good for me. I mean, it's, uh, it certainly helped, uh, me out in my career. Um, but I, I mention it because of something that, um, uh, you and I were talking about. And I think one of the things that I think more security hiring managers should do is look for people from atypical backgrounds. I know so many musicians that are awesome security people, awesome security analysts. Um, I, I, I think it's part because music is math and music is patterns, but they see patterns amazingly well. Uh, so they, they, they can make a, for a great security analyst or an incident responder, things like that. So look for people that didn't come up through. I, I know someone who's in Vistuk right now that used to be a nanny. Wow, okay. <laughs> right? Uh, and, and she's doing amazingly well. So, uh, so you'd be surprised where you can get great security talent from. Yeah, 100%. So did you plan to be like an actor then or what was the, the plan? Yeah, yeah, well, I I certainly thought about it um, and uh, um, played around with it a little bit, but uh, this is is a face made for radio more than uh, television, so (laughs) (laughs) I I just wasn't pretty enough. No, got it, got it. So obviously did your university course, then how did it all spin and spiral into the the security field then? Right, Uh, so I'd gotten into uh, IT support uh, initially, because back then, if you could spell the word computer, you could probably get a job in IT, right? Um, most people that were using computers were doing their own configurations and stuff like that. And, and so those skills could typically get you a job. But as I was progressing through that, I started hearing about all these very interesting security-related things, right? The various attacks that people were doing against 
Microsoft Windows and stuff. And I just found it fascinating. So I dove into that. Uh, I really just wanted to find out as much as I could. I took a, a couple of like boot camp type classes uh, just to get me kicked off. Um, and then just aggressively started applying for uh, four jobs um, and uh, finally landed one. I was a third shift SOC analyst. So wow. uh, yeah, um, and, and that's, we only had one person in the SOC at any one time. So we ran a 24 by seven SOC with only four people. Now yeah. there wasn't as much to deal with back then either, right? I mean, this was back in the day when like, you know, Code Red was going around and maybe SQL Slammer and Sasser and things like that. Um, but uh, but it still kept us busy. I mean, uh, we were constantly trying to hunt things down. And a lot of that was manual, like literally like scrolling through firewall logs and looking for and, and maybe setting up a filter based on something you just read about the, the latest attack that was out there. Yeah, it's, it's crazy to think how it's evolved so much since oh back God. in the day when you was in that first role. Okay, cool. So started in the third third shift and then what happened where was we after after that how long did you spend in that role um so uh so the uh, third shift sock analyst i was only there for maybe 12 to 18 months um and I, I was doing such a good job that i got promoted up into um engineer uh and then analyst uh, i mean an engineer and then eventually architect um so nice uh, that was a that was a good progression and it was a natural progression right i just I kept learning more. I kept applying what I learned, um, made uh, great improvements uh, for the organization, made great suggestions. Um, so it was, uh, it was, you know, that effort to constantly grow that that got me moved up uh, through the ranks. Yeah, that's a really nice natural transition from analyst, engineer, architect as well. So what yeah. what, what what was our, what was the role after that? Uh, so, um, so, uh, I eventually ended up transitioning, um, into, uh, a, a technical account manager at Qualys and the whole thing came about, um, very, very interesting. Uh, so back in the, back at that time, I was desperate for a SIM, right? But we just didn't have the budget. We couldn't get a SIM, but I did know as things were kind of transitioning from, you know, your your older attacks like a buffer overflow on port 445 to someone emailing a malicious PDF. Um, what I really needed to do as, as that was happening was I simply needed to know what version of Adobe Reader that uh, that the uh, the host was running if I actually saw, a you know, a, a intrusion detection um, rule fire that from all I could tell looked like a, a legit malicious PDF. So I put... A lot of pressure on Sourcefire, who was our uh, intrusion detection system at the time, to write API calls to Qualys and just bring that data in. So I'd have it right there. You, you could just uh, compare the two uh, data points. It, Sourcefire could actually do it for me automatically and just change how critical that alert was. And then the critical ones would bubble up to the top. Um, they, I, I had to put a lot of grassroots pressure on them. I literally asked the SE to get me the names for other people and other clients. And I called FedEx and I called Disney and I said, I have this great idea, but they won't do it just for me. Could you please add your name to my feature request? Yeah. And uh, they um, not only did they finally build it for me, it worked so well that Apple themselves refused to buy Sourcefire unless they GA'd the feature. Um, into wow. The 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and at that point, Quelch was like, wow, you, you, you do some good work. Do you want to come and work for us? And I, I was, I was game, right? A uh, new adventure. Sure. Why not? And, uh, and so I, I went to go work for them. And um, ever since moving over to the vendor side, I've gravitated to roles that allow me to help clients, right? I, 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 I'm, I'm not about selling them product. I'm more about what are you struggling with? And, and I find this is a common theme in you know, most companies is um, people get too hung up on shiny object syndrome, right? They get too engrossed in the technology and they forget about process and they forget about people. So my, my job ever since moving into um, a strategic advisor role at Splunk has been to just say, show me what you're doing. Tell, tell me what you're trying to solve. And I'm gonna help you solve that problem even if it's not a solution uh, from you know the company I'm working for. Yeah. Right? If it, I, I tell salespeople all the time, hey, if the customer says business email compromise is their biggest problem, I'm going to be telling them they need two-factor authentication, like yeah. right now, right? Uh, so, uh, so that that's been my approach, and and it's been great because I've I, I have I think really helped a lot of uh, organizations. You know, uh, a few of my peers had written workshops when I was at Splunk, and I would teach those workshops um, around the country, mm -hmm. uh, just trying to help people get better. Hundred percent. So you you spent what six six years at Splunk. Uh, a little over five, yeah. Wow. Okay. Cool. So quite quite a long tenure there. For those that yeah. don't don't know what's who Splunk are, can you just give a quick intro on that? Oh yeah. So um, so Splunk is an amazing way to search data. Right. Um, they can basically take data in from just about any source, at least a time series source, and allow you to do searches and manipulations on that data for anything. Now, in, in the security space, obviously, what you're going to do is you're going to look through security logs and look for indicators of compromise, uh, indicators of attack, things that would show you uh, data from various um, sources. So you're vulnerable. The stuff I was trying to do when I was working with Splunk and I mean, yeah. with uh, Sourcefire and Qualys, yeah. trying to get the, the vulnerability state of the system, um, uh, indicators that would show you someone's moving through your systems, doing yeah. lateral movement, stuff like that. So nice. um, it's a, it's a really, really effective tool and it's, it's, it's really fun to teach workshops for it too. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I'm doing it. Yeah. It's definitely one of the, the ones I see a lot of businesses utilizing. So why, why did you spend so long there? So it's a long time, six years. Yeah. Um, I, I, well, yeah, so I was certainly growing through the role, uh, right? So I, I started off at, as, uh, you know, just the title itself and, and ended up moving all the way up the ranks through senior of that role. Um, and, uh, and, God, I was just having so much fun doing it. It was uh, it was a blast. Um, I would take like the workshops to hacker conferences. Um, I would get to travel all over and just consult with customers and try and help them figure out um, usually some sort of get better plan, right? Yeah. Some some way to help them mature their program. Um, and it was a blast. Well, so what specifically is a field CISO then? Uh, so, you know, I don't know if we can say specifically because I've probably seen uh, at least half a dozen different takes on it. Um, what it means for me is uh, I get to take all the knowledge that I've accumulated over, geez, it's been about 20 years now, 
and try to help people figure out uh, ways around their problems, right? Um, try to help them mature their programs, try mm -hmm. to lend them the benefit of my experience, um, really, at the end of the day. So, you know, it, it, it touches a little bit on customer success. Um, it touches uh, a, a little bit on um, customer assurance. Uh, and in general, um, I just look for ways for me to help make uh, organizations okay. better. They do. I, yeah. I, I've read... I'm going to read this out. So I've read you proactively partner with sales to grow the bottom line, which I found really interesting. So how, how do you go about that? Oh, right. So, um, so I, again, I never think of it from the aspect of sales, but the way it helps sales out is, um, is if you have a customer that's successful at what they do, there's a good chance that a, you've won their respect and you've won their business. Um, and if you help them solve, you know, like with Splunk, if we also found new problems that we could solve with the tool itself, that would certainly, you know, expand um, the uh, the sale for the, the salespeople as well. But the great thing is, is I never had to worry about that, right? I I, I could come in with um with a knowledge of like, hey, I I don't care if you buy it or not, just tell me what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and uh, I think customers respect that, right? Uh, so yeah. just being able to um, to have that conversation and be like, Let, let's not be so worried about buying things. Let's be worried about what's going to make you better. Uh, yeah. So the salespeople certainly appreciate it. Um, it, it. Some of them were a little surprised because it it's a it's a little unorthodox, right? It's a little bit a uh, miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, right? Where you're telling people to uh, to go uh, possibly to another product to solve their problem. But if that's if that was the right answer, that was the right answer. Well, I guess that that shows a real testament to you. It shows you care, right? And I I know that you care about this industry just from your constant contributions to to all the conferences and the keynotes that you do. I want to pick on the conferences because this is a big one. Yeah, I have seen you at loads. <laughs> um, one thing that caught my interest was obviously coming from like a defensive uh, career. Yeah. How come you're so involved in a lot of the off offensive uh, yeah. conferences? Right. Um, you know, there's a couple reasons why. So um, the first is I certainly found that the, you know, hacker cons compared to um, other conferences that may not be led by researchers, but may be more led by vendors. Um, the hacker cons tend to, A, have some of the freshest information out there, right? Um, they're they're uh, often on cutting edge of technique um, and things like that. Um, so the information itself was insanely valuable. And even though it's offensive in nature, the, the fact that even though I'm not going to take that information and necessarily go hacking my own organization, I learned so much about that attack because as I'm sitting there listening to that person's attack, I'm sitting there thinking, how, how would I stop this? And it's, it's, what's great is a lot of researchers will themselves say, oh, and if you want to stop this, in fact, one of my presentations is literally me taking notes at all the hacker cons I went to and going, this is this is a real easy way to stop this attack uh, or defend against this kind of thing. So uh, it, it, it's just been so incredibly helpful to my defensive career to actually hang out with attackers 
and and hear what they're doing, hear what they have to say, um, even even hear their funny stories about goofy things that they did. Right. Like um, there was a, a pen testing friend who uh, had done a pen test on a company that had um, these little automated medical carts that would ship things uh, around in a hospital. And um, he uploaded an MP3 of it, uh, of whistling, I, if I only had a brain, oh. and the little car. <laughs> <laughs> right? So um, those those kind of things are, it's fun to listen to, uh, to, to what they do. And it's also incredibly informative. So I... Yeah. I love to participate in that community, but I think the one I think I have the most the most fun at is uh, is uh, I helped found a um, uh, a charity um, a non for profit called Hack for Kids. Okay, and uh, and what we do is we teach kids about information uh, security, safety, and ethics. Basically, we're we're kind of you know. Most kids, you know, if, uh, if, if they have any sort of, but uh, um, she's even through the media now, they don't even have to have a technical leaning. They just think hacking is fascinating and cool. So we're using kind of the lure of hacking, but what we're really doing is letting them explore STEM skills, right? Um, anything from, uh, we will have an activity around snap circuits, which is kind of like Legos for electrical circuits. Uh, to uh, to sumo bots where they try to program these little bots uh, to push uh, the other bot out of a circle or something like that. And the kids have a great time. It's been very rewarding um, participating in that. Yeah, I can I bet. I bet we. Um, I actually got asked to deliver, like, a, go into a, a local school in the UK and deliver, uh, go to like the careers fair. And what I did, I put together a five minute video, and I got. Five, I think it was six in the end, six InfoSec professionals to explain why a career in information security is so great. And I've got people from all around the world. So lean in Dubai, Israel, the US, wow. UK. I'll, I'll send it to you after this and I'll I'll put it in the show notes for anyone interested. But I'm going in next week and going to be sharing that and just to get, get inspire folks to give them an idea about some of the cool careers that are are, are in security. So no, that, that's an amazing initiative. <laughs> that's fantastic. No, that'd be a great resource. Hundred percent. One one of your um, talks really made me chuckle, and it, I'm gonna. <laughs> is artificial intelligence gonna throw us off a cliff or give us wings to evolve? <laughs> we won't go into much detail about it, but what what exactly was that for anyone that is maybe interested in that? Because obviously AI has been a big big topic of conversation at the minute, particularly. Oh sure. <laughs> so that was interesting. That started off actually as a collaboration between um, me and a, another researcher in the space, uh, Chris Roberts. Um, and, and unfortunately, he ended up with a conflict and we couldn't do it together. Um, but both of us had been talking about, you know, and this was a few years ago, and people were really putting a lot of faith in AI, especially the people that were developing AI um, systems and things like that. And nobody was talking about all of the problems that we were seeing in AI, right? Um, and uh, you know, just two quick examples I gave during the talk, but um, one was uh, a, a, a picture of some snow and the AI had determined that that was a wolf because it had been constantly fed pictures of wolf where there was snow in the picture. So when it saw snow, it was like, oh, that's a wolf. 
Um, but even worse was um, there was a, I can't remember where it was now, but there was a an ex a trial done where they were feeding an AI sentencing uh, data to try and make a, a an impartial sentencing system so that it wouldn't um, uh, be you know more sympathetic to white people uh, versus people of color. Yeah. And, and what they found out was all this backlog of data that had been prejudiced uh, against non-whites yeah. taught the AI to be prejudiced against non-whites. So it was still giving Insane. horrible sentences. Yeah, right? So, um, and the, the scariest thing was during uh, the final keynote at the end of the, the conference, there was a fella who had worked with several of the large fang companies mm -hmm. and way back in the early days. And he told us that one of the things that he was most concerned about is, you know, the, 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 uh, the algorithms just do what they're supposed to. So algorithms for social media, their, their number one job is to get faster responses more often, right? Unfortunately, people, tend to respond faster when they feel anger or hate than when they feel happiness or joy. So much like, you know, chickens pecking in a light to get their little pellet of food, it's been conditioning people to respond fast. Yeah, wow. right? <laughs> this is the effect it has on us. And one of the students, and this was done in a college, one of the students stood up and said, yeah, but can, can we deny that, you know, uh, these social media platforms are wonderful things? I mean, they find people, you know, uh, organ transplants and lost relatives. And he's like, no, he's like, no, that is not, that is just an, an accidental byproduct of the, the social media platforms. You know, that is not the platform itself helping people. And uh, yeah. And the kid was a bit taken aback. He, people were like, why was he so mean? And he, I'm like, he's so mean because people aren't getting it. People aren't realizing that yeah, yeah. No, that's that's not really the, you know, the uh, the intent of the platform itself. No, got you. Well, man, we, we could talk for hours, Robert. I know we could. Um, so let's let's wrap this up. Um, yeah. One, one final question. Who do you really respect in the industry? And would you recommend people check out their content or research or whatever it might be. Oh, wow. You can name a couple or if there's one yeah. that really you um, think that person. Can I just bring up a list of 500 here? <laughs> <laughs> I know I didn't prepare you for this question and I like, <laughs> having, I like having that. So there's a lot of people that really, really give heavily to, to this community. Um, people like Hacks for Pancakes, um, uh, InfoSec Taylor Swift, uh, Wolfgang Gorlick, uh, Malware Jake, um, uh, Tanya Kaki, um, uh, uh awesome. another person who handles bind. Um, I could, I could keep going, but wow, that's uh, amazing. Fabulous. Yeah. Man, Robert, it's been great chatting with you, brother. Thanks for coming on and, uh, hopefully I'll see you at RSA. Yeah. Thank you so much. I hope so as well. Cheers, Robert. <laughs>